0: And so, uh, I, you guys have, may have heard about this, but we're kind of in the book of Romans right now doing our sermon series, going verse by verse of the Bible. And you may have also heard that we're, it's kind of confusing, we're, we're doing a series within a series. And the reason why that is is because we're gonna be spending the next three Sundays on one verse in Romans 119, covering the, the topic of evidence for the existence of God going over the evidence for it, the purpose of God's existence, what it means for our lives personally. And so this is a great time to invite your friends, your skeptical neighbors, your relatives, whoever it is you wanna invite because they're gonna see the proof for God's existence and not only the proof but what it means for us because it has great meaning. And so uh, a part of our style here at Corner Canyon Church is to go verse by verse through the Bible. And so that's part of our Romans series. We're in Romans chapter one on how God's revealed himself in nature. Um, So we go verse by verse through the Bible here and we do have an Old and New Testament reading because we think the entire Bible, the whole enchilada is the word of God. All of it builds us up in our Christian life. All of it blesses us. So we want to go through all the word of God here and not skip over verses that might be controversial, might be difficult. We go through all the scripture here. And so our Old Testament lesson is from Psalm uh, 19, 1 through 6, and as i read this you'll be able to see really clearly how this ties into romans chapter one so here now god's word from psalm 1 from 19 1. the heavens declare the glory of god and the sky above proclaims his handiwork day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set at a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs out its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And that concludes our Old Testament word from God. And then... Of course, Romans 119, this is a a, a verse that makes a very bold claim. We're spending three Sundays on this verse. So hear now, God's word, it is without error. It is without any mistake. It is perfect in all of its parts, the word of the Lord. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. That concludes a reading of God's holy inspired word this morning. Let's pray that God would bless and anoint the preaching of this word. Let's pray together. (laughs) Gracious God, you have clearly revealed yourself in our conscience. Everywhere we look around, Lord, we, we see your fingerprint on all things. And your glory shines forth in all creation. I pray that um, as I, as a sinful, fallible man, would be able to proclaim that truth, that your fingerprint is everywhere and that you have clearly revealed yourself to us, Lord. And that knowledge, I pray this morning, would lead people to repentance, to trusting in you, Jesus. If there's somebody here who has never trusted in you, who has never rested upon you for their salvation, Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit to convict them of your truth so that they would have eternal life the forgiveness of all of their sins, peace that is only in you, Jesus, the peace that surpasses understanding. So if someone is here and they're hurt, they're beat down, they feel lost, Lord, I pray that that they would know that they're found in you by trusting in you, Jesus. Give them that hope and that peace. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as I said, we're looking at the biggest question there is. um, And we all know that I'm a man subject to much hyperbole, but I really do mean it. It is the biggest question of whether or not uh, God exists. And I like how um, uh, philosopher and theologian William Lane Craig describes how and why this is such a big question to tackle as we are going to do in our Three-part series, he says, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. That is doubly true when the question is the existence of God and life after death. The question takes on an added urgency. Why? Well, because death's grinning face threatens to meet us around every turn when we least suspect it. And that is so true, because, I mean, no matter how much we want to believe we'll be here tomorrow, we are not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? And um, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, why are we going over the existence of God in a Christian church? Like, why are we covering this? You know, I mean, you might be thinking, well, you know, and I'm pretty sure most people here think that God exists. Like, I was not really, you know, um, and you know, while you might think that that may not be necessarily the case. And um, we, we have an issue. We have a um, a major epidemic in the, and I'm not referring to coronavirus or anything. Um, we, <laughs> you know, start saying anything epidemic or pandemic, people think corona, you know, no, we got nothing like that. Um, we had no cases here, so that was good. But um, we, we have a major issue in our church. I'll use that language, a major issue in the Christian church. Uh, according to uh, Lifeway Research, and there's different research, research that's done on this, actually, 60% of kids, when they go into college, will leave, they've been in the church previously, when those, when those church kids go into college, 60% of them, according to LifeWay, leave the church. They don't go to church anymore. Um, and usually the reason, I mean, I would say a major reason would be the best way to put it, the major reason for them leaving is intellectual moral issues. Um, 70%, according to one study, 70% of kids when they go to college, Ah, uh, leave the church. Um, that's I mean, if you're you're counting heads, that's three out of four kids in a youth group. Um, that's incredible no- numbers, and that's why here at Corner Canyon Church we have a youth and college ministry that is focused on equipping uh, kids for college because of these just mind boggling um, uh, statistics, these surveys that are done, and and we as parents want to impress on the on, on our children not just what we believe but why we believe it, because when they go to college, they're gonna hear plenty of reasons, plenty of reasons why they shouldn't be a Christian. And especially they're out of the home in many cases, they're having peer pressure, they have this new independent life. And so, yeah, this is a major Problem in the church, and uh, William Lane Craig, who I quoted earlier, um, recounts this this tough experience that he's had repeatedly when he goes around giving proofs for the existence of God. Uh, parents come up to him. He says this: "This is what he writes. Emotions will carry you only so far, and then you're going to need something more um, substantive. Apologetics, which is giving reasons for the Christian faith, from the Greek word apologia, giving reasons, provides some of that substance. As I speak." In churches around the country, I frequently meet parents who approach me after the service and say something like, if only you'd been here two or three years ago, our son or daughter had questions about the faith which no one in church could answer, and now he's lost his faith and is far from the Lord. That's a frightening reality to us, frightening reality to me, um, that we have to be prepared. And I think what's happening here is a church has not paid attention or has not, i may I say overlooked perhaps is a way of putting it, overlooked a major teaching of scripture and that is found in verse Peter 3.15. Uh, Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit writes, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always, not sometimes whenever you feel, but always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this verse commands us as Christians to not only know what we believe, but why we believe it. And this has not been emphasized in the evangelical church, unfortunately, as much as it should have. And I think if it were, we wouldn't be having the problem we're seeing today with college kids and many other people struggling with their faith. Um, so yeah, why am I talking about all this? Well, because the verse we read, Romans 1:19, it says, Paul says, in no unclear and unequivocal terms, he says, the existence of God is plain. It's clear. Um, and we live in a world where we where people think that you know anything about faith or God is kind of family and the fuzzy feels, you know. It's all about your emotions, what you feel. There's no factual reality to faith. It's kind of like, oh, wow, I just, I have this emotion. And you may not have that emotion, but I have that emotion, people say. And so I believe this because it really, you know, it really gets me all excited inside. I, get, I have this emotional experience. And that's why I follow this or do this or have this particular faith. And so what, what ends up happening here is that religious faith is treated as this sort of like like this fairy tale you know, for adults that make them feel good and has no factual reality. That's how our culture paints this. And so we're gonna be spending the next three Sundays, as I said, looking at this and how to respond to our society's cry that uh, faith and religion is all about faith and feels and has no factual reality. So we look at the text here. We see that's not what Paul thinks. That's not what Paul believes. Look at this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And the Greek word for plain here, it, it means what it sounds like, to make obvious. To make so uh, obvious in public even is how the Greek words suggests. So it's not like hidden secret knowledge, you know, buried in some cave for some person to find. No, it is obvious in a public, clear, and direct forceful manner. That's what the Greek is getting at here. So the Bible here is saying it. Yeah, it's really obvious that God exists. Um, now, in support of this claim, um, you know, I mean, half, I mean, not half, um, well over half, the majority of humanity has uh, believed in the existence of God. And if you look at the, the history of human thought, there have been a variety of different views in philosophy on time, on human nature, uh, what what matter is like, and people have all these different theories in in philosophy. Um, But when you look at all of these philosophical views, the one view that has the most reasons, evidence, and arguments in support of it has got to be the existence of God. Over a hundred arguments. There's over a hundred arguments for the existence of God, and um, I actually did my graduate studies in philosophy, you know, working in the area of analytic Western philosophy, Um, and uh, that that kind of that kind of style specializes in. When I say arguments, people think of like a domestic dispute between a wife or something. You got an argument or you're mad at somebody um, at the grocery store. No, this this form of philosophy specializes on step-by-step kind of mathematical reasoning to get to a conclusion using evidence. And what I found in, in studying this, many people say, well, I studied philosophy and so I hung my Christianity up. You know, I just gave up on it because philosophy shows that Christianity is true. That's what people think. They think if you study this stuff, you're gonna become like an atheist or something. Well, it went in the opposite direction for me because I saw that there were over 100 arguments and they were good. They're not just arguments that Uncle Joe in the basement makes up, but they're peer-reviewed academic arguments, over 100 of them, more than any other topic in the history of the world. And so I saw this and I was like, wow, it's like really clear when you study philosophy that God exists. This is really amazing. And so um, there's so many proofs if, if we went through all of them, we would be here, um, not, not today. Well, I guess, yeah. Now, I mean, for every Sunday, we'd, we would be going through this for two years, and I don't I don't, wanna, I don't think we're going to go through all of <laughs> them in two years. We'll go over the good ones. How's that? The ones that, uh, that, that seem direct and clear to us. Um, and so the most talked about um, argument in the philosophy of religion right now, the one that has the most press, is the one from the beginning of the universe, beginning of the cosmos, and that, in its most popular form, is called the Kalam uh, cosmological argument. Kalam from the Islamic word for speech, um, and cosmos about the you know the universe, and so this is a very simple, straightforward three-step argument, and um, again, it's step-by-step reasoning not red faces and angry people, okay, we wanna be clear because whenever someone hears me say argument, you're gonna think of like red face madness or something. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. Um, so this is a step-by-step you know, kind of reasoning process that follows, it's called in logic soundness, it, it follows and it's valid and, and there's reasons to believe it. So number one, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Two, the universe began to exist, three, Therefore, the universe has a cause. And so uh, this this expression, whatever begins to exist has a cause, is is true. We don't believe that things are just going to pop into existence in this room uncaused out of nothing, you know, like pizzas and burgers. Clearly, I'm thinking about food. Um, You know, you don't think when you're going to get home that you're worried about You know, a hundred mice and raccoons popping on cause into existence and messing up your house. So when you come home, you have a few unwelcome guests. They're on my mind right now because we had rats in our attic, and I'm pretty sure the guys took care of them, but um, we, we were worried it was a raccoon crawling up there. Anyways, too much information. So, so yeah, I mean, we're not worried about like random animals popping into existence and attacking us, right? So we 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 think that the things when they be, when they uh, exist, they begin to exist. They've got a cause to them, and so that's what you would conclude with the universe: um, is that if it began to exist like anything else, it would have a cause. Now what I find just so interesting is that um, atheist people who deny the existence of God, for most of human history have, have said to avoid this, what they have said is that the universe had just always existed. It's always been there forever and ever. It goes infinitely in the past. Matter is eternal. And it never began to exist that's what non-believers had have said for most of human history but you see science in the over the past 50 years has disproven this ancient atheistic assumption now what we have is everybody agrees in science that space matter and time began to exist finite time ago. This is how famous theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking, who by the way is not like some religious believer. Okay, He was an atheist agnostic. He didn't believe in God. Um, As a matter of fact he said he was actively trying to work hard to debunk the Big Bang because it was too theological. So he was trying to avoid the beginning of the universe but this is what he says almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. And so uh, there are many features of the universe that prove this fact, and there was a theorem developed by Borg, Guth, and Verlankton, their famous scientists. And this is how Alexander Verlankton, who by the way, he is an agnostic, he doesn't believe in God, he actually responds to this argument by saying the universe popped into existence uncaused out of nothing. He doesn't deny that the universe began to exist, but he thinks that it popped into existence uncaused out of nothing. So this is what he says. And he's not a, he's not a you know, Billy Graham guy. He's not a Christian, all right? He says, it is said that an argument is what convinces a reasonable man and a proof is what it takes to convince even an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Notice he calls it a problem. Yeah, because you don't want to say things pop into existence and cause out of nothing. You don't want to, have to say that God exists. They don't want to say those things. So it, it, it seems pretty firmed up in science. And I, you know, listen, I know you guys don't want to hear like a litany of scientific reasons, right? That's not why you came to church. But I'm just going to give you one that I, that's that's clear to me. That that's that's very straightforward. But. Um, the universe that we exist in, according to if we just let things go and there's no intervention by God or anything, but the universe is on a timer if it's just let go. And so in about a trillion years, scientists predict that um, the universe will be at equilibrium and that means that it will suffer a massive heat death and all of life as we know it would not exist at that point. In a trillion, don't worry, it's pretty far off, trillion years, you, you're, you'll be dead, you know, you'll know, you be in heaven. Um, I hope so, we all trusting in Jesus here. Um, but the universe, uh, if the universe is infinitely old, we would already be at heat death. We, I wouldn't be here talking to you. We would all be gone, right? So clearly the universe can't be infinitely old because if we were infinitely old, that would have already happened. So, in addition to these um, these kind of scientific reasons, there are also philosophical reasons for thinking that an infinite cannot be in time, space, and matter. There cannot be an infinite infinity in matter. And um, when you start getting the infinite in the material world, you just get, the most bizarre, crazy, wild results. And I'm gonna simply illustrate how crazy and contradictory and insane it is if you have an infinity in the physical world in time, space, and matter. Um, So suppose you had an actually infinite number of marbles. And actually, no. See, I had them. I had the marbles because I want to have an infinite amount of marbles. You can make money off of that if you sell one for even a cent. You'll have, you'll be in, I don't know. You wouldn't even be a trillion or You'd be more than that. So, so I have an infinite amount of marbles. Okay, and I um, I give them all to you, which would take an infinite amount of time. But anyways, so I I have an infinite amount of marbles. I give them to you. I now have zero. You've got because I've given them to you an infinite amount. Of marbles. Now things are gonna start getting weird here, okay? So hold on. Just I know, just stick with me here. This is tough. Okay. Now I give you all, I counted the marbles, I give you all of my odd marbles, I keep the even ones. Well, we both now have an infinite amount of marbles. You do and I do, because that's how that's how bizarre the mathematics of infinity is. If I give you the even set of infinite marbles, you have an infinite amount, and I have the odd or whatever way you want to have it, we both have an infinite amount of marbles. Now, if I have the first five marbles and I keep them to myself and I give you the rest of the set of the infinite amount of marbles, I only have five and now you have infinity. So you see, we've we've, we've put in different things here. We've I've given you an infinite amount of marbles each, each time and we have contradictory results because of how bizarre marbles are. Identical results, and yet different different conclusions, contradictory conclusions. And this, if this doesn't make any sense to you, good, because it's insane. It's literally crazy. It doesn't make any sense. If it doesn't make it, you're like, whoa, now, I didn't follow any of it. That was insane. You're, you're getting it. Don't worry. That's because it is insane. It doesn't make any sense. And that shows us, that shows all of us, that an infinite cannot be in matter. It doesn't make any sense. So according to science and philosophy... Um, time, space, and matter, energy, came into existence a finite time ago. The universe is not infinite. Nothing in this world is infinite, it is only finite. And so because of these arguments, what atheists have tried to do now is they try to say, yeah, guess what? Okay, I'm gonna get out of your argument, Nate. I'm gonna say that the universe came into existence, popped into existence, uncaused out of nothing. This is what agnostic philosopher, he's not a Christian, not a believer. You're noticing a pattern here that I'm only quoting unbelievers here, except for William Lane Craig. He is definitely a believer. He says, a proponent of the Big Bang Theory, at least if he is an atheist, must believe that matter of the universe came from nothing and by nothing. Let me ask you a question. What comes from nothing? From nothing, nothing comes from something, something comes. So what makes more sense that the universe came from no one or the universe came from someone? Seems pretty clear that it came from someone. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, people say, well, you know you Christians, you got to hold to these miracles. Let me tell you. Everybody's got to hold to a miracle, the beginning of the universe, things coming into existence without any prior material, any prior anything. Things just coming into existence, that's a miracle. Christians, believers in in God, we at least have a miracle worker. (laughs) If you don't believe in God, you got nothing. You just got random things popping in. And if random things just pop in, why doesn't just everything pop in, you know? I mean, kind of thing. Um, So I just don't have enough faith to believe that. I'm sorry. And so what can this, this, this argument tell us about God and his, his nature? Well, let's think about it for a second. God is causing time, space, matter, and energy. He's causing those things to exist. And they didn't exist prior to that point. So God has to be timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and have immense power to, to bring about uh, from from nothing, he brings something into existence. He has to be immensely powerful. He can choose to create or not create because we don't have to exist. All of science grants that the universe could not have existed. So he has to choose to create or not create. and he is timeless, spaceless, and non-physical. That sounds like the Lord, doesn't it? That's exactly how we describe God. timeless, spaceless, immaterial, immense power, being able to create and not create, that sounds like a person. That sounds like God. Um, and so, uh, this people have said, well, you know, Nate, why can't it be like a thousand gods or a million gods or an infinity amount of gods, whatever it is. And the, the issue with that is that everybody holds this principle. It's used in philosophy. It's used in science. It's called Occam's razor. Go with the simplest conclusion. That's what's kind of what it is. Um, so um, we all follow this because when I, if I come home from work and I notice a nice plate that my wife made for me on the table, um, I, I would assume it's my wife. I didn't see who made it. I didn't see who put the meal together. I would assume that just my wife made it and not everybody from church and not everybody from the neighborhood. That all got together to make me one plate. See, in our own reasoning, we go with the simplest explanation. Um, and so here we have one God creating all things immaterial, non-physical, immensely powerful God. And that confirms what Moses wrote all along in Genesis 1-1, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When every all the other religions were saying the universe was forever and always, Moses got it right. He made a prediction and Moses nailed it in the beginning. Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, someone would ask me that I've heard this. People kind of say this is kind of a gotcha question. You know, if God caused the universe, then what caused God? Um, and um, it's funny they didn't ask that when the universe was. They thought the universe was forever. They didn't ask what caused the universe. So, if something always exists, it doesn't have a cause. That's why it says whatever begins to exist has a cause. So God is eternal. He never began to exist. So he doesn't have um, a cause. So that means for us that God has created this world, has put you in it, and if he's created this world and put you in it, I I think he probably has a purpose for your life, don't you think? I would say so. I think it's reasonable to believe that he has a purpose for your life. He wants to have a relationship with you. Now, you might be thinking, no, come on, Nate, I don't need all of this stupid, fancy philosophy stuff to prove this. This is boring, I don't like this, oh, come on. You know, I just, just need, look at those mountains out there. They're so beautiful, you know, I mean, beautiful waterfalls, you know, kitties and doggies, whatever, you know. And you just look at all these wonderful things and you just, you know that, that God exists, right? That's, that's, the, that's the thing. And you know, I don't need these step-by-step proofs. You just look around and see the divine imprint. I think that's true, by the way. I think that God has made us in such a way that everything we see, we see God. We see God everywhere. We see his fingerprints everywhere because his existence is playing. So we don't need complicated proofs. But here's my point, is wherever you look, whether it's to reason or to experience or whatever it is, we'll see God. So in proofs you can see him or in your experience, when you're hiking or looking out in a beautiful mountain or wherever it is, you you can see God's handiwork. The A V guys can post a really beautiful picture of a sunset. Do you guys have that picture? Awesome. By the way, this is real. I thought, like when I saw it, an upsplash, I totally thought it was fake. Um, but this is a real picture of a sunset. It's beautiful. Um, it's actually, I was just talking about Australia recently with some congregants. This is the this is the Australian coast right here. So some good reasons to go to uh, to Australia because let's be honest, those I see pictures on YouTube of all the creepy critters in Australia. I I, I get a little nervous. I'm like, I don't want to live there. But this kind of motivates me. Look at that. I mean, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's really a beautiful. It looks like I can't. It looks like someone painted that. Um, And so when we see such beautiful sights like that, and we see such glorious uh beautiful things, we think we become very like thankful and uh grateful for those things. We're like, oh my that's so beautiful. I'm thankful just to, to have seen this. Well who are you thankful to? And there's actually, surprise, surprise, an argument from beauty um and it goes like this: one, natural beauty gives a resilient impression of being a gift. Two, Natural beauty gives a resilient impression of being a gift. We're reasonable or justified in believing it's a gift. So we're justified in believing that natural beauty is a gift. Four, if natural beauty is a gift, it can only be the gift of a transcendent benevolent giver. Five, so we're justified or reasonable in believing that natural beauty is a gift of a transcendent benevolent giver. So we we can see from beautiful sunsets, from looking looking out on the uh, mountains, It's funny, a pastor that I know, he's like, man, he, by the way, this guy, this guy does ministry in Hawaii. Okay. And I was ran to him at a pastor's meeting and um, he's like, oh man, I would love to have your church. Yeah. It's kind of weird, but um, you know, I'd love to have your church. I just love that view of the mountains. I'm like, dude, you live in Hawaii. You literally live on the sweet blue water. Like, I mean, you're jealous of me, but you know, I can see where he's coming from. I like those mountains too. It's a very, it's a very pretty uh, view. Um, Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in beautiful Southern California. That's where I'm from. Um, uh, It's impossible to live there because how much they charge, but anyways. um, But you're walking on the beach with one of your friends, and um, you guys stumble upon a watch. And your friend, he says something kind of weird. He's like, oh, well, uh, that watch on the ocean, that just just happened by chance. That just got here. as an accident. No one made that watch. Be like, what are you talking about? That clearly was made by a person, right? That watch was made by a watch maker because it's finely tuned, it's specified, and, and highly complex. And so, when we see specified complexity and things that are fine tuned, we naturally inf- infer uh, that, that there was design. Um, When when my wife writes a note, I don't assume that, you know, the wind came and knocked the pencil over and it wrote there. No, I assume my wife wrote me a note, um, probably a grocery list, if we're being honest. Um, So, this is how Stephen Hawking, who is a lifelong agnostic atheist, a theoretical physicist, this is what he says about the complex expansion rate of the universe. He says, if the expansion rate of the universe was different by one part in a thousand million million seconds after the Big Bang, the universe would have collapsed back in on itself or never developed galaxies. So that's that's highly improbable. That's like worse than one out of a billion right there. That is really bad uh, chances of it just happening randomly by chance. We are Our life here is on a razor's edge. If gravity, the constant of gravity, were any different were any different at all, we wouldn't be here by just a slight, like one, worse than one out of a billion. Um, And you have all of these constants that add up to where it'd be like you winning the lottery 10 times in a row. Now, if you win the lottery 10 times in a row, you're like, this thing is rigged, is what you would think. There's a designer of rigging the lottery. You wouldn't think that, oh yeah, no, it'll, Totally happened by chance. I just happened to win the jackpot 10 times in a row. You'd be like, no, this sucker is rigged by the mob or something. This doesn't happen. And that's that's the universe. It's worse than, it's more improbable and the universe we live in. And this is how um, astrophysicist Fred Hoyle, he didn't believe in God. Um, it's like, how can he, he's gonna say this, and it's like, how can he not believe in God? He like says this, and it kind of is interesting. To me, but he says a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics, that there are no blind forces we're speaking about in nature. Number one uh, uh, calculates from the facts seem to me to be so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. You can't even, quite, it's just, it's so clear that there's some something monkeying with how it just came out so perfectly in terms of us having life and, and sentient consciousness and all these kind of things. And these calculations are not even including the complexity of DNA, which are like, you know, vast you know information of libraries and everything. It's not even including how improbable it is for life to come from non-life. It's not even including those things. Um, this is just talking about the physics and how fine-tuned the universe is for intelligent life. It's not even getting into levels of biology. But when you get into levels of biology, I know people think just evolution, the whole thing's over. That's not true. Even Richard Dawkins, who is an evolutionist himself, he believes in the theory of evolution, he's an atheist. He said in the book, and this should be a dead giveaway, this is this book is called The Blind Watch Watchmaker. Um, I, you know, I mean, that's an interesting title. Um, but he says, biology is a study of complicated things that give the appearance to having been designed for a purpose. And so things appear like they've been designed. It's improbable that we got here. So I think the impression of design around us is just overwhelming. And so I think, yeah, we're justified in believing that there is a cosmic designer, or a personal being who cares and is, intricated, uh, is intricately brought together this universe. Um, and we are told to believe that all of this happened by accident and chance. I have to tell you, I just do not have enough faith to believe that, that seems wild to me. And if we are just a cosmic accident, I want you to think about this for a second. If atheism and this kind of very kind of crass evolutionary view is true, then we are accidents, we are animals, and nothing more. I have a question for you. So looking at this, if you're an accident, right? The whole world's an accident, so you're an accident, right? That means your brain, what you're thinking, that's all an accident. So your brain's an accident. The beliefs you're forming in your brain, everything's an accident. There's nothing intentional. That's what it means to be uh, an accident is to be unintentional. There's no intentional reason or purpose. It's all an accident. So your beliefs are an accident. Your brain's an accident. Everything around you is an accident. Do you think you're gonna trust your brain? You're gonna trust your mind on that view? If it's if it's just an accident. Yeah, I mean, if it's all just by chance, your, your brain, your beliefs, it's all brought about without any intention. It's just all one big cosmic accident. There's no purpose or design to any of this if God does not exist. Well, if that's true, then we're just basically chemical machines that were brought about by accident, which still doesn't really make any sense. But it's unpredictable, it's chancy, and it undermines knowledge. Because I'm not going to trust my brain if my brain's an accident. I'm not going to trust anything that goes on. It's all an accident anyways. And so here we are, our last uh, argument for the existence of God. It's very simple. Is that if we have knowledge of things, then there is a God. We do have knowledge of things. Therefore, God exists. And um, this is not something that I'm making up that I thought about last night like at 3 a.m. No, this is like a thing in philosophy where basically people like have discovered that, okay, well, if there's no intention to things and the word animals, then it seems like we can't trust our minds, we can't trust our beliefs and opinions we form about reality because it's all an accident anyways, even the, the, ba- the brain chemistry that's firing. Um, so you can't trust your own mind. This is what Charles Darwin wrote, and it really captures this problem well. He says, and this is the Darwin, like we're talking about like the Darwin everybody knows, right? But then with me is the horrid doubt it always arises, whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? If there are any convictions in such a mind. So yeah, we're just accidental animals here. So are you gonna trust the, the, the cognitive faculties of an accidental animal? Well, no, you don't seem to know anything at that point. It's just mass, it's just mass skepticism, you can't know things. But I mean, come on, we know things, okay? Like, I know that uh, we live in the universe, I have a right hand, we do know things. I would say I know I, there's a purpose to life. I know all of these things. So we generally, I mean, I don't know anybody in here that doesn't trust their minds. Everybody here, you trust your minds. Let's hope you trust your mind, especially in an argument with your spouse. You know, you better start trusting yourself then, right? <laughs> um, no, I shouldn't have said that, sorry. Um, so yeah, you trust your mind, okay, to make decisions and form opinions. And that means we all live and act and breathe as if God exists. And here's the ironic thing, and I'm going to be pointing this out over and over again, that in order to argue against God's existence and say he doesn't exist, you have to trust your mind. But that trusting your mind assumes that God exists. So the only so when you argue against God's existence, you actually assume God's existence. You're assuming your cognitive equipment is working your brain. So... Ironically, to reject the existence of God is actually in some weird way to assume the existence of God. It's like a scientist who's up here arguing that air does not exist. What's he doing all the while arguing air does not exist? He's breathing that air, isn't he? And that is because God has made us in his image. He's made us to know who he is. He's made us to know that he cares about you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. There is there is real purpose to everything. It, that you came to this church on Sunday is not an accident. It's not a matter of chance. Nothing is. It's been planned by, by God. And God's plan is for you to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior so that you can have eternal life and know him, the infinite God of the universe, the creator that made all those stars and galaxies. It's, he's created it so that you can know him and have a relationship with, with him. And so I would ask you not to reject God's plan for your life. The uh, In the first century, the religious leaders, they rejected God's plan for their life because they thought they were too good. They thought they were really righteous and wonderful, upstanding religious people. They didn't need grace in God in the way found in Christ. This is what Luke 7.30 says. It says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, by the way, that's not like, you know, like the lawyers are today, like all oh, lawyers are not going to heaven. Don't read it that way. I, we like lawyers here. Um, they're great. Uh, this is talking about like the lawyers of the law, right? The law of God. And they were very legalistic. It's a category. The Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God, the plan of God. And you could translate the Greek the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So they rejected the plan of Jesus that John the Baptist presented, so they rejected it, and the reason why they rejected it is because they actually believe the lie, the lie that many people believe, that they don't need God, and that they're good enough to get into heaven. But you see, the Bible tells us that we are all sinful, that none of us are good, we're all sinners, and if you're if you're unclear about that you can literally just ask your spouse I'm making a lot of spouse jokes by the way my, my wife and I we're doing really good and in case you were like you know, I think Does this guy have a problem with his wife like what's this no we we have a great relationship I'm just I don't know why I'm bringing this up there's something wrong with me okay um, now you're going to read into that later on, you're like, I can't believe that pastor said that. Um, So yeah, no, I mean, we're we're all messed up. Everybody who knows us, your parents, your wife, whatever, your kids, whatever is in your life, they know you have problems. You know you have problems. There is no hope in yourself. There's only hope in Jesus and in his perfect life, in his righteousness, in his sacrifice on the cross for all of your sins so that you can have eternal life. So you can know that infinite creator, You're like, whoa, wait a minute, Nate. You just jumped to Christianity. Look at that. You just hopscotch over there. You went to God, to Christianity. How did you make that move? That's not fair. That's cheating, you know? Well, the reason why I made that move is because the resurrection of Jesus, the evidence for Christianity, if you look at it, it's the only worldview that has any evidence. You know, pretty much down to a few monotheistic religions. It's the only religion that has any evidence going for it. And that's gonna be biblical Christianity. Again, I know I've quoted probably more atheists than any sermon in human history. But I'm going to do it again. This guy actually was a lifelong non-Christian, and this is um, from Anthony Flew, who studied the resurrection. He never became a Christian. He never trusted in Christ. But this is what he said. He says, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus rose again from the dead is better than for any claim miracle in any other religion. It is outstanding, different in quality and quantity. And if you're skeptical about that, you can just go back to our old YouTube videos on Easter Sunday. We we prove the resurrection of Jesus every Easter Sunday. And so uh, even he acknowledges, got the most evidence going for it. And if I could summarize in five seconds, the reason why that is, is because we have documented three years after Jesus' death that 500 of his followers and even enemies, skeptics, saw him alive from the dead. 500 after three years after he died. For ancient history, that is unprecedented. That's incredible. We have nothing like that. And that's what you'd expect if Christianity were true. And it is. So this shows that, yes, God has a purpose, a plan, and a design for your life. You matter to God, the infinite God of the universe. He wants to show his love, his grace, his mercy to you, even though you are wicked and you mess up every day, you sin every day. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to trust in him, to put your faith in him. And when you do, you have the blessing of the forgiveness of all of your sins, eternal life, and to know the God of the universe through that. You know, his love is something that that no finite person can give you and since really satisfy you he he has something that can satisfy us his infinite eternal love that never ends this is how romans 8 uh, 35 through 39 puts the unbreakable, unlosable love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, and that includes you, by the way, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's a friend that never leaves you, the friend that never abandons you. He's with you when everybody else leaves you. He's with you when nobody else supports you and loves you. That's the God who created you, who loves you. So if you want to have a relationship with this infinite creator that created all the beautiful stars, the mountains when you see them, all you have to do is trust in Jesus Christ and you will know his eternal, everlasting love and all your sins will be forgiven. I pray that you do that this morning. Let's give him glory.